King Solomon wrote this Song of Songs, which really means the, the greatest of all songs. It's a Song of Songs uh, for his marriage to a woman that we only know as the Shulamite. And it expresses in beautiful terms the love each has for the other. And Christians, Christian husbands and wives can learn to value and honor one another in the way that this king and bride uh, honor one another in this song. But what is more, the song depicts the relationship of God to his people, to Israel and the church, which is frequently depicted in terms of a marriage. Christ as the bridegroom and, and the church and Israel as the, as the bride. As St. Paul wrote in Ephesians 5, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word. But Israel was repeatedly unfaithful. And so God repeatedly had to come after them to seek them again with his grace. And in this, the Song of Songs also becomes a picture of the relationship of Christ, his bridegroom, to his church. And so here in our text, the, the Shulamite and her bridegroom are in what we would call a courtship. They aren't married, but, but, they, but they long for each other. And the Shulamite is longing for her bridegroom, and, and she's described as seeking him. Listen again to where she looks. On my bed by night, I sought him whom my soul loves. I sought him, but found him not. I will rise now and go about the city, in the streets and in the squares. I will seek him whom my soul loves. I sought him, but found him not. First at night, on her bed, she seeks him. But the two aren't married yet, and so, of course, he's not there. But then she goes into the city, into Jerusalem, the, the city ruled by King Solomon, the, 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 the capital city, hoping to find Solomon about his work there. But she didn't find him, because while she was partly right, she didn't know exactly where he would be. And so no matter how hard she seeks, she can't find her beloved. Now, maybe we don't think of it in these exact terms, but, but isn't this how often uh, we think of our relationship to Christ? I have this vague recollection of when I was growing up in the church and, and still learning the faith, uh, that I was the one seeking God, that I was the one always looking for God and, and trying to please God by what I did and find Him in all these places where I thought for sure He would be, where I would expect Him, especially uh, in my own emotions. If I was happy, uh, then, well, I, I must have gotten pretty close to God. But most of the time, it was like God was playing hard to get. Like a, like a guy and a girl who are, who are dating and, and God was, was just playing with me. And it was like I wanted to be saved more than God wanted me to be saved. And so it was up to me to, to show God just how much it was that I loved him, how much I loved God. Uh, just like a guy who's, who's trying to, to, to get a girl who's playing to, hard to get and, and buy her flowers and, and chocolate and, and follow her around to the, to the point of being creepy. Uh, in, in order to, to just show just how much he loves her so that maybe, just maybe, she would accept him and, and love him back. 
And yet one of the great things about Scripture is that the truth is always better than we can imagine. God doesn't play hard to get. I simply wasn't listening to where he had promised to be. See, God wasn't waiting for, for me to show him just how much I loved him. God loved me before the world began. He loved me more than his own son. He sent his only begotten son into the world to die for the world, to die for me. God desires my salvation more than I desire my salvation. And God's coming to me. He's not playing hard to get. He never has been. Paul writes in Romans 3, There is no one who seeks God. No, not one. And Jesus himself said, The Son of Man came to seek and to save what was lost. It is just simply impossible for us to find God, to seek Him. But God isn't playing hard to get. He just comes to us. Now, some people try, try these, some, some of these foolish things, like, like going into a closet and, and being really quiet to see if they can hear God talking to them. Uh, other people will go out into the wilderness, into creation, to see if they can get closer to God, uh, where God goes about his work in creation. Uh, but they're looking for the God, just like the Shulamite, searching for her beloved in her bed and then out in the city. And they won't find him there. And it's very common for us to look for God like, like I used to uh, and sometimes still do in my emotions. And so if we're sad, maybe because we're lonely, because we've lost a loved one, or, or if we haven't found that special someone yet, or, or even in our marriage, uh, we sometimes can feel isolated from our spouse for whatever reason. And, and so then we begin to believe that God is far away from us. And so then we need to work harder to get to him, imagining that our relationship with God has become a one-way street and we need, again, to, to go and seek God. But this only leads to despair and an endless seeking, an endless searching. Because Christ, while Christ is indeed everywhere, Christ has not promised to be everywhere for you. And he hasn't promised to be in these places, in, in nature, in our emotions, for you. And so we'll never find God or find his peace by our own inner searching for him. Instead, we need to go where Christ has promised to be. Look at what happens next to the Shulamite. Look at who finds her. I sought him, but found him not. The watchmen found me as they went about in the city. And I said to them, Have you seen him whom my soul loves? And scarcely had I passed them when, when, well, there he was. The watchmen, the protectors of the city, found the bride. And soon after she was past them, right, right as she had gone past them, she found him whom her soul loves. Now, watchmen in Scripture denote pastors. And we think of Jesus' parable in the New Testament of the one sheep who, who goes lost and, and the shepherd leaving the 99 other sheep to go look for this one sheep. It's ridiculous that he goes and, and he does that. 
but then he finds it. He, he seeks and finds a sheep, and then he brings it back, and they have an even uh, more ridiculously large party because he found this one seemingly insignificant sheep. It's a parable of just how much Jesus loves us and goes out of his way to seek us and find us and the joy in heaven over when he does. But how does God do that today? How does Jesus do that today? Well, he sends out shepherds. He sends out pastors, watchmen, uh, to point to him, to point to Jesus, to proclaim the forgiveness of sins, to go bring back the wandering and proclaim the forgiveness of their sins, to bring people into the church, to be where Christ is for you. Jesus said of the church, for where two or three are gathered together in my name, there I am with them. And it's for this reason that God encourages us through Hebrews and let us consider how to stir up one another in love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. It's here, together, that Christ communes with us, that he feeds us, that he strengthens us, that he encourages us, and as we all together long for and look for his returning. A husband who, who loves his wife won't go out searching for other women, but he will come home to his wife every night, and especially so if, if there's a problem, if, she, if she's sick or dying. And in the same way, Christ comes to us too. We're sick. We're dying. The end will come. And so it's important for us to be where Christ comes to us. And then we do as the Shulamite, after the watchmen lead her to the beloved, to hold on to him and to not let him go. To cling on to Christ in faith. To not let go until the day comes when we no longer need to hold on by faith because one day we'll hold on by sight. We will see him. We won't need faith anymore. But that day hasn't come yet. And so the Shulamite concludes here with a final warning. I adjure you, O daughters of Jerusalem, by the gazelles or the does of the field, that you not stir up or awaken love until it pleases. Taken literally, this is uh, speaking of the historical marriage between King Solomon and his bride, the Shulamite. And this is a warning against premarital sex. The, the bride of Solomon tells the daughters of Jerusalem and all people to, to not do this. Don't do this until the marriage bed. But this has spiritual implications as well. In this life, before the day when our bridegroom comes to take us to our eternal home with him, we are still sinners. Yes, we're saints in his eyes, we're glorified in his eyes because he dwells in our hearts and therefore all of our works are sanctified. But the sinful flesh still clings to us and must be drowned every day through repentance, which is a returning to our baptisms. And we must always remember that we are not yet rid of our sinful flesh. And so therefore we can't trust our thoughts and our feelings or our hearts. 
These things are frequently untrue, and they lead us to dangerous places where Christ is not. And so instead, we need to look at the Word of God, which is like our bridegroom, the same yesterday and today and forever. We sang a hymn earlier, the Queen of Chorales. It was the one that was shaped like a chalice uh, in your service folder. How lovely shines the morning star. We sang one verse and, uh, earlier, and we're singing a few more in a moment. And this hymn beautifully describes what our bridegroom has done for us. This is the verse that we sung already. Let me read it for you again. A pledge of peace from God I see. When thy pure eyes are turned to me, to show me thy good pleasure, Jesus, thy spirit and thy word, thy body and thy blood afford, my soul its dearest treasure. And so keep me kindly in thy favor, O my Savior, thou wilt cheer me, thy word calls me to draw near thee. Just a beautiful hymn text. And it tugs at the heartstrings, but more importantly, it speaks of objective truth. And it tells us where we find our Lord, or rather, where He finds us. And all we have, our life and salvation, are received by His good favor through His Word and His sacraments, His body and blood. It does not depend on us, on us or our love for Christ one little bit. And this is such a blessing for us. Because sometimes when we don't feel the love for our Savior, when we don't feel our love for God, Christ never stops loving us. And our God rejoices in the love that we have for Him, the longing that we have for our bridegroom to come to us. But this, the, the, our longing, this is our faith. This is what God has given to us, what He's put in our hearts by His work of the Holy Spirit. And so God rejoices in the faith that He has given to us. And Christ longs to come back for you, to make your faith perfect. And God has left His promises to us, to, to keep us in the one true faith to life everlasting. In His Word and in His sacraments. And it's a testament. He won't go back on it. And therefore, we can earnestly long for our bridegroom, our Christ, to come to us, trusting that, that He longs for you more than you and I could ever long for Him. In Jesus' name, amen. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now and ever shall be, forevermore. Amen.